You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Wednesday, 21 February, budget day. Also, local inflation at 10 a.m. Expected for January, 5.4%. That versus 5.1 in December. I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, Sean He's from Tribe SA Results, Kumba and BHP Group. We're chatting with Anton SA. He's a CIO at 10X Investments. He's got a, a compelling argument uh, saying we should be reducing U.S. equity exposure as he expects lower returns in the decade ahead. Uh, then Megan Fraser from Alan Gray over-contributing to a Reg 28 fund. And what can we expect from that budget later today? This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines for MoneyWeb. Avenge still exploring possibility of an international listing, but no immediate plans to list in Australia, despite changing its reporting currencies from RAND to the Aus dollar. Business Day, it says jobs, jobless rate jumps to 32.1% in Q4. Stats say unemployment survey shows youths remain vulnerable in the labor market. Uh, morning markets, US is back again in red. S&P down 0.6%, NASDAQ off 0.8%. Over in the east, mixed. Sydney off half a percent, Tokyo off half a percent, Hong Kong up 2.8% and 10, 10 cent to an quarter percent higher. Commodities mostly green, gold 2041, Brent under pressure 8265, platinum 915, palladium 987, rand 1888, bitcoin 52,050 and top 40 opening call 210 points to the upside, that's about a third percent green. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Trading now with uh, Sean Dendera. He is, of course, Tribe SA. Sean, appreciate the early morning uh, results updates starting to come thick and fast. Kumba iron ore yesterday. Uh, the unit costs $41 a ton. They're selling the iron ore at $117 a ton. That should be absolute bonanza. But, of course, they're actually ultimately reducing production using stockpiles uh, because of logistics network not optimal. Uh, in other words, Transnet is broken. Your, your take on the numbers. Thanks for having me, Simon. So with Kumba, I think they had, you know, impressive numbers. If we're looking at their revenue, uh, it was up by 16%. Um, the earnings before interest tax, depreciation, amortization, uh, there was a 53% margin there. And then, you know, they actually even announced a dividend of mm. 46 rand and 80 cents, which is up by 4%. So from a numbers perspective, you know, I think the numbers are really great, especially, you know, operating in a cha- uh, challenging environment where commodity demand has been a lot softer. We have seen persistent cost inflation and, you know, multi-year high interest rates. I think the biggest thing, you know, affecting Kumba, like you mentioned there, is, you know, logistics. Mm. We see that uh, with what's happening over there with Transnet. Uh, it is actually affecting, you know, a lot of our commodity producers in terms of, you know, transporting their goods and the like and exporting their goods. A key benefit for Kumba in the results would have been um, the weaker rand, yeah. as you mentioned. The you know the forty-one dollars versus um, the hundred something that they are selling. You know the iron, so they're getting a lot of nice revenue from that perspective. 
And there was also quite a nice ride last year, towards the end of last year, in terms of uh, the price of iron. There was quite a rebound in there, which led to an increase in prices for Kumba for, of 3.5%. So all in all, you know, great results, but there is, you know, concerning things such as, you know, they're cutting about, you know, production due to, you know, logistic issues. They're going to cut uh, employment by about 400, yeah. 490 employees and 160 contractors. So as much as, you know, it's, it is doing quite well, but, you know, from um, from our economy perspective, there are things that are quite concerning there. Yeah, it, I mean, they're doing what they can do, I suppose, is, is the answer. Uh, and then, of course, Transnet takes them out at the knees. Quick point in BHP Group. I mean, net profit down 86% to under a, a, a billion dollars. But, I mean, they, they had write-downs galore, two and a half billion on nickel assets, uh, just over three billion on that uh, trailings dam collapse in Brazil. But if you drill into the, the operational performance, your take on, on BHP Group? So with BHP, I wouldn't say they, you know, they suffered, but I wouldn't say the results are quite great. So we focus on, you know, a drop in profits of 86% compared mm. to the same financial year. However, you know, there was actually a rise of 66% in that uh, in their revenue growth, and this is, you know, really to due to China having a record uh, iron consumption. Let's call it that last year. Um, and the, the biggest factor really is also China. I think with China having, you know, the longest lockdowns, mm-hmm. you know, that economy ha- really hasn't opened up as everyone expected. But, you know, they are seeing steady growth in the Chinese region. Uh, they're also seeing opportunity in um, India and Southern Asian markets, which will potentially increase, um, you know, uh, still output uh, for the coming years. But they were also affected by the same things, you know, that Kumba was affected with, you know, the same a global political tension. Yeah. We're looking at inflation. We're looking at high interest rates. But, um, I mean, going towards this year, we hope that, you know, there will be, you know, a slight change uh, in the economy, which will, you know, eventually or potentially create a bearish market, a bullish market going forward. We'll leave it to that. Uh, Shondendera, Tribe SA, appreciate the early morning time. Your money knows it's not just about the money. It's about your returns returning the favour and empowering people. Your money can do more to change the narrative. Beyond delivering consistent returns, investing in the Stanlip Kanisa Impact Investment Fund can help eradicate poverty and protect the environment. Invest for more impact at stanlip.com forward slash more. Stanlip Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. I'm chatting with Anton Esser, Chief Investment Officer at 10X Investments. Anton, appreciate the time today. A note that you put out, which probably needs more time than we have and certainly is a brave one. You're saying time to rethink how we weight U.S. stocks in our global equity portfolios. Certainly over the last couple of years, truthfully decade, it's been a wonderful place to invest. A lot of it, of course, Magnificent Seven, but the returns have been great over the last 5, 10, even maybe 12 years. Yeah, hi, Simon. Actually, longer than that, you can almost go back to the late 80s when one Alan Greenspan took over the Federal Reserve. For the last 30 years, real returns in U.S. equities have been close to 8%. I mean, last 10 years, over 9 So, you know, but it's been a wonderful ride if you've been invested as much of your capital as possible in the U.S. equity market. 
part of the challenge, and I want to drill into some of the issues, but you made a point in the article that you put out around just tax cuts, for example. I mean, they've undoubtedly been a driver both of equity and to a degree of growth. And of course, at some point, you run out of road for cutting taxes. Yeah, you know, it kind of began, if you remember, back in the 80s with Reagan. You know, tax rates mm. then in the US were you know, mid-40s. And there's just been a kind of steady decline. Every single particular Republican president that's got in has cut taxes, and the Democrats haven't increased them. So your average tax rate's gone from kind of mid-40s to an effective tax rate closer to 15% now in the U.S. And that has contributed, you know, something like 0.8% to net income growth in the U.S. over that period. So it's been a big tailwind. And the tailwind has helped. If we then dig into the data, you make the point, I mean, you're not expecting earnings growth of giant numbers going forward. The U.S. has grown, but they're almost sort of muddling along. And if we look at the multiples, they need better growth for the multiples that we see. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, just take a little step back and look at that earnings growth. In the last 30 plus years, you know, you've had economic growth in the U.S. of 2.5%. And obviously, it's been a phenomenal time, and we've had leading U.S. companies, we've had you know, the internet, we've had globalization, we've had now artificial intelligence. But fascinating, if you look at sales, it's a top-line sales growth of non-financial corporates in the U.S. within that S&P 500, under 2%, so 1.9% real sales growth. So through that you know, incredible time, actually, you know, U.S. corporates have kind of grown below GDP in the U.S., But then the additional point really is that actually what's added to that EPS growth has been this point around tax cuts, so 0.8% contribution. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is, as we know, this is continual period and reduction in interest costs. So interest costs have contributed 0.7%. So if you add all of that up, almost 40% of earnings growth, so EPS growth in the US since the late 80s has come from interest costs and taxes. And then you make the final point there, which is around valuations. So valuations, you know, the multiple back then was 15. It's now over 30. And, you know, valuations are very sensitive to interest rates. They're discounted at future interest rates. So a large portion of that multiple expansions also come from interest rates decreases over that period of time. You know, it's really been the main driver of that 7.9% U.S. equity return in real terms you've seen in the last 30 years. But as you say, that's really you know, in the last couple of years, you know, come to an end. So it does really change the outlook from here in terms of what we can expect from long-term returns in the U.S. And that's the key point. We're not talking about a crash in the next days or weeks. We're talking around the next decade or so. And, you know, reversion to the mean, the lower growth coming through certainly suggests that we're not going to get the sort of returns that we've had from equity in the last couple of decades. Yeah, that's right. Who knows really what happens in the next six months, next 12 months even. It's very hard to forecast. You know, long-term returns can very much be driven by you know, something much more around the numbers. So let's go back to them. If you look at you know, the 10-year GDP forecast, the CBO actually, so it's the U.S. government, mm-hmm. which is typically overly ambitious, it's 2%. Now, if you kind of just run the numbers and we refinance at these levels, and let's just assume that tax rates stay incredibly low, the Trump tax cuts next year get rolled over and all these things. So we stay at that very low 15% rate. Then we have an earnings growth of 1.8 in the US. And that's actually making some pretty bold assumptions. You know? So therefore, earnings is in line with GDP, whereas the last 60 years has been below GDP. And you take that 1.8 and you feed it into a model, right? And you take your valuation multiple, that number 30 I mentioned earlier, you kind of have some form of a mean reversion. And let's once again be take the optimistic side, we take a mean reversion to a much more 
recent Cape multiple of 26, you know, we start to get to kind of real returns of just over 1%. And if you go to longer term valuations, then you actually get a negative real return mm. expectation in US equities of you know 0.6%. So that's a big change in the world we've been living in the last 30 years, you know, plus 8, 9% real returns in the largest market in the world, really in the next 10 years going something closer to zero to 1%. It just changes the dynamic completely of yeah. how you manage you know, retirement portfolios. So where does that leave the investor? Looking for good old-fashioned quality, dividend payers, evaluations, and of course, I mean, bonds, which are enjoying their day in the sun at the moment. Yeah, I think there's two or three takeaways here. I think firstly, absolutely, that first point is that for the first time in a long time, real return expectations in bonds, be it developed market or indefinitely the South African market, are attractive. Secondly, you know, outside of the U.S., emerging markets are you know, much more attractive than using the same mass that we've mm-hmm. gone through here. And then the third point, which is the crucial one, is, as you say, this is very distorted by big tech in the U.S. You know, if you take a much more equally weighted, let's say, S&P 500, the numbers are a lot more attractive. And a lot of that is very much skewed towards defensive plays. You know, the names that we all know, which are trading at much more attractive valuations with actually pretty good earnings growth over the last 10 years. So those are really the three actions to take away. If one thinks hard long-term, short-term, it's a completely different story. Believe it, Antonis, the Chief Investment Officer, 10X Investments. Appreciate the time. And that's our poll today. I mean, Anton makes a, he makes a compelling case. He also makes a long-term case. I mean, I think that's maybe the key point is we shouldn't get excited and, and, and panicky. But are you cautious in U.S. returns over the next decade? Uh, maybe a little, maybe not at all, maybe a lot. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. When you stay invested over time in Stanlib's Global Multi-Strategy Diversified Growth Fund, your money's in for some smooth sailing. With our global partners, J.P. Morgan Asset Management at the helm, your money can withstand the pressure and bad weather day-to-day market conditions cause. All aboard? Seek more returns at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. I'm chatting with Megan Fraser, tax manager at Allen Gray. Megan, appreciate the time today. Tax, I think a lot of folks sort of think about tax as something that, you know, kind of happens to us. We need a, an accountant. We pay it on an annual basis. But it's actually an important component of a broader financial plan. We need to have tax consideration and be tax smart, I suppose. Yes, thanks, Simon. This is definitely a question that we do get quite often, especially around whether tax efficiency should be the predominant driver for our financial decisions. So anyone who has taken time to develop a financial plan will be well aware that there are a number of factors to consider when working towards formulating a healthy financial plan, none of which really can be looked at in isolation. So Mm. these factors and their corresponding level of importance may also change over time as your needs and goals change through different stages of your life. So tax efficiency is one of the most important aspects to consider when looking to get the most out of your hard-earned savings, allowing you to better cater for the future needs of both yourself and your family. So the tax year comes so close at the end of February each year, and this really is an ideal time to take stock of your financial affairs to assist you in taking full advantage of any remaining tax benefits that may still be available to you. And that's an important point, and one of them which people will go straight to, and, and maybe the minister will make some tweaks, is the Regulation 28 funds, if my memory serves, it's 350000 
or 27.5%, whichever is the smaller number. But that's obviously a smart thing to do from an investment tax perspective. But if you over-contribute, you don't lose that benefit. And I think that's something a lot of people miss. No, 100%. So over-contributions towards your retirement savings, such as a retirement annuity fund, as you mentioned, the limits are 27.5% of taxable income or remuneration capped at the 350,000 rand. So if mm-hmm. you do over-contribute above that limit, the benefit rolls over into following tax years. So you never really lose the benefit of over-contributing. So there really is no such thing as over-contributing to your retirement <laughs> savings. I take your point. We're not over-contributing. We're just saving us in the future. If we look at the benefits of a Reg 28 fund versus the tax-free funds that were bought in, what, 2015 by then Finance Minister Mm -hmm. Nkankanene, the one is obviously the tax-free is post-tax money. The Reg 28 is pre-tax money. Is there a clear benefit one over the other? Or is it a case of, if we could, we should just do both? So you mentioned the benefits of both of those products, but I always say it's never really an either-or option. So Mm -hmm. what's really important to keep in mind is that both of these products have really been formulated to meet different needs and they have different structures. So when you're assessing which one would be best for you or fit nicely into your financial plan, you really have to think about it might not be either-or, but maybe a combination of these two. So for example, at tax-free investment, it grows free of capital gains tax, which means it's an excellent option for investing for the long term. So for example, if you're saving on behalf of a child, or it's a way mm-hmm. to save for their education. But you really have to be disciplined and resist the temptation of withdrawing from this account to get the most benefit. And then from a retirement savings perspective, in most cases, retirement funds really do offer the best tax deal because you see the savings now. But as I mentioned, you'll have to be able to live with the legal restrictions that are imposed on withdrawals because these are not available throughout the year or throughout your lifetime, only once you retire. That's a good point. I mean, they might look similar on the way in, but they're different on the way out. Reg 28 has got those, and we'll get the two-part system at some point, but until then, there are requirements there. If we're looking at what we expect from the budget later today, my sense is probably no big blockbuster changes, particularly for investors, or you perhaps may be expecting a little more action, particularly around the investor space. So that's indeed the million-dollar question, Simon, and I would say one that (laughs) many are sitting with bated breath to find out the answer to. So South Africans really are already contending with multiple strains on their finances, which includes things like high inflation, increased electricity and food Mm -hmm. costs, and high interest rates. Not to mention the fact that by all reports, we'll also be seeing another fuel price hike coming at the beginning of March. So all of these factors should stop government from increasing personal income tax rates. But in the face of a large budget deficit and high levels of government spending, the Minister of Finance really has a balancing act ahead of him to try and get the country's finances under control, I'd say. So I expect that there's little chance of a um, changes such as a VAT increase or an increase to corporate tax rates, but we'll surely see a slight income tax bracket creep to account for inflation, increases to things like sin taxes and fuel levies. We fortunately will not have to wait much longer to find out, as you mentioned, the speeches later today. Absolutely, a couple of hours away. And perhaps the key point is that no one's expecting changes to the limits on either the Reg 28 or the tax free account. Mm. I'm holding both thumbs, but I think it's in vain. We definitely are also holding both thumbs that we're not going to see any high impact changes come through. But as you mentioned, we're not entirely sure what to expect. And there's been lots of speculation this year around what we might see in the budget speech. We'll leave it there. That's Megan Fraser, tax manager at Alan Gray. Appreciate the time today. Dive deeper into the South African budget 2024 with MoneyWeb's exclusive webinar. Join industry titans, including MoneyWeb's editor, Reik van Niekerk, Annabelle Bishop, Investec's chief economist, and Keith Engel, CEO of the SA Institute of Tax, as they decode finance minister Ino Godongwana's plans. 
Don't miss out on this critical discussion. Tune in on Thursday, the 22nd of February from 11.15am to 12pm. Register now at moneyweb.co.za. That's it for today. Yesterday, we were chatting with Viv Govender, talking about uh, recent developments in artificial intelligence, both from Google and OpenAI, uh, and NVIDIA results, which are, uh, are coming out later this evening. Uh, we asked if NVIDIA can sustain its outstanding can sustain, sustain its outstanding performance. Two-thirds said, ah, you worried it'll fade soon. The rest, absolutely loving it. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning on the MoneyWeb website, the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobuchle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow, BidCorp results. And don't forget the budget webcast tomorrow, 11.15. Register MoneyWeb.coza. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.